Deuteronomy 6. Hear God's word. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are all around you. For the Lord your God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be aroused against you and destroy you from the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies and his statutes, which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you that you may go in and possess the good land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to cast out all your enemies from before you, as the Lord has spoken. When your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is the meaning of the, te of the testimonies, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household. Then he brought us up from there, that he might bring us in, to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our, our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Thus far the reading of God's word and all his people said, Amen. Amen. Let us bow together as we uh, pray and then we'll be seated. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for giving us, revealing to us in it your character and the directions for our faith and practice. Father, here we are, gathered all 
to hear you. So let our hearts and souls be stirred to seek and love and fear you. Grant, O Lord, that we would trust your word and obtain true consolation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Over the past few weeks, I've been enjoying, again, Pastor Booth's uh, Sunday school instruction on child rearing, this time uh, from the perspective of both a father and also a grandfather, although I have been a grandfather for quite a while now, so perhaps I heard it before from the perspective of a grandfather, but it means more and more to me as I increase in age. In fact, I've been tempted on multiple occasions during Sunday school to whip out my phone and text to my adult children a message that they would profit from listening to and hearkening to the principal's espoused. I may even have succumbed to such temptation. <laughs> so upon learning on Thursday that Pastor Booth likely would, be, would not be able to fill the pulpit today, my thoughts immediately went to this topic and and also to Deuteronomy 6. As you all are well aware, but not well enough aware, we live in a world gone mad. You do not have to be 61 years old to have noticed that the culture that surrounds us has shifted dramatically and speedily over a very short period of time. To cite just one example of this, back in a previous epoch of human civilization, Way, way back, I think it was 2008, a liberal Democratic candidate for the U.S. presidency publicly opposed the right of homosexual couples to marry. For those of you who are mathematically challenged, this would be a mere 14 years ago. Now, four years following, in the campaign of 2012, President Obama had come to believe, rightly it turned out, that the country's opinion of that subject had during his first term changed to such a degree that he no longer faced significant political risk to announce support for same-sex marriage. And so he did. But though he perceived a major shift in popular sentiment on that issue, in 2012, he likely, can't speak for him, of course, but likely he would still not have endorsed transsexual male athletes competing in intercollegiate and high school athletics against female, candid- female athletes or public school personnel encouraging minors to seek gender reorientation without parental knowledge or consent and elective surgical modification and or removal of perfectly healthy sexual organs. Well, these are accepted tenets of progressivism today, and you would have accused me of gross exaggeration had I told you ten years ago that these practices and perspectives would be commonplace in America in 2022. We could speak at great length and take all our time this morning in recounting the myriad ways in which cultural mores and standards have degraded, but we need not. You can see that clearly 
But you must not take for granted that your children see this as clearly as you. Just as I really have difficulty wrapping my head around the fact that my father's family did not have a vehicle with an internal combustion engine until he was past the age of 10, or that early car travelers on the muddy and primitive roadway from Woden to Nacogdoches would often have to spend the night along the way. So our children can't adequately appreciate how swiftly the sands are shifting under our feet or the increasing pace of that shift. Our children didn't grow up in a popular entertainment culture that boasted three television channels that featured Lawrence Welk or Beaver Cleaver. Now, I'm not meaning to lift up either of these as representative of a Christian civilization or what entertainment should be, but I'm merely pointing to the degradation of popular entertainment and culture. It has fallen away dramatically, and what once was hidden behind a cultural curtain of shame is now proudly and publicly paraded. Even a decade ago, I dare say you wouldn't know what was meant if you heard the words Pride Month. But today, almost every American corporation will display their logos in rainbow colors and celebrate lifestyles that would have made virtually all of American society just a decade or two ago recoil in shock and gasp in disbelief. Now, my point is that the accepted and sanctioned behaviors and attitudes of our own retrograde modern society increasingly resemble those of ancient Canaan. They are not new under the sun, actually. But Leviticus 18, uh, for one example, recounts the sinful customs of the people of Egypt and Canaan, and there God explicitly details these abominations that whether they're new or old, certainly defile nations. Just so we are completely clear on their nature, I want to read today most of that chapter of Leviticus 18. You're welcome to turn there. I won't read every verse, but I will read quite a few. I'll start with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do. Nor shall you walk in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now, I'll break out here from verses 6 to 18 and just mention that in these verses you'll find detailed prohibitions against various types of incest, that is, sexual relations with one's family members. But taking up again Leviticus 18 and verse 19, we read, Also you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife, to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. 
nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled. Lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord your God. Well, are we clear on what God thinks of sexual sin or of men profaning his name or of parents offering children as sacrifices to idols? Are we confused regarding whether God's standards for right behavior for men and nations have changed as human society has increased in knowledge and wealth and man-made righteousness? After all, your personal responsibility for warming the planet by burning hydrocarbons or running water while you brush your teeth is nowhere mentioned here. Or did God forget to consult Klaus Schwab or Greta Thunberg or the U.S. government's disinformation governance board or the arbiters arbiters of truth-telling at Twitter or Meta or even Mar-a-Lago? Of course... We are convinced that God's standards in Leviticus 18 are yes and amen. And regardless, regardless of whether it is Pride Month, it is most certainly Pentecost Sunday. And as Paul put it so beautifully, if in the past God has overlooked times of ignorance, he now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed. And he has given us assurance of this. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Indeed, not only have his standards not been relaxed to account for modern man's mores, but in Matthew 5, Jesus tells us that not only are we not to have sexual relations with others than our spouses, but also we are not even to desire to engage in such practices. And that the desire itself constitutes adultery. Truly, he said, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen 
will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. His standards are neither malleable nor movable, and he will not ask us if we approve. So here we find ourselves in 2022 in America, living on the outskirts, if not the central business district of Canaanite culture. And God has told us to occupy the land. That the battle belongs to him and he will fight for us. And that we are to superimpose upon the world in every place we walk, his culture and way of life. Moreover, we all have signed up for duty. We said that we would obey his commands and embrace his way of living. Now, I know it's been a busy week of a hectic month, of a frenetic year, of a crazy life. And you've had to make a living and walk the dog and change the baby's diapers and buy groceries and prepare dinner and find a friend who has a Netflix subscription. <laughs> and all that. But I have a few questions to ask so that we're not assuming too much and really are all on the same page and actually belong, actually belong among this crowd listening to Moses that we find recounted in Deuteronomy 6. And the central question we must ask ourselves is, do we really fear the Lord? Do we really believe him to be God? Our authority, the authority. Do we believe, really believe, as Hebrews 11 reads, that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In John 6, Jesus, having just the previous day fed the 5,000 with five barley loaves and two small fish, instructed those gathered around him, saying to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, as you recall, you know John 6, many were offended by this and turned away <laughs> just the next day after he had fed 5,000 and walked with him no more. And so Jesus then turned to his 12 disciples and said, or asked, what about you? Do you also want to go away? Well, let me assure you, the world is offended by Jesus Christ, by his exclusive claim to be the Savior, the one Savior of the world by his demands on men's actions and attitudes, by his boundaries for their acceptable behavior, by his assertion that the one and only way to justification and true freedom and the promised future for humanity runs not through Washington or London or Davos or every man's autonomous reasoning, but only exclusively and straight 
through that shameful and embarrassing cross of Calvary. Jesus asked the twelve, and so he asked us today, what about you? The people around you are walking away, offended by my word. What do you say? Will we answer as Peter did? Lord, to whom shall we go? You only, you alone have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you, O Lord, are not our hope, then we have no hope. If you are not the light of the world, then pray tell, to whom shall we turn to find life? But perhaps we don't feel as Peter felt. And if we in truth do not fear him, why tarry here any longer? Really, we're wasting our eating, drinking, and being married time. A tepid Christianity is not what he has called us to. And he has said he would prefer that we be hot or cold. Jesus said to the church in Laodicea, as you recall in Revelation 3, because you are lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's a recurring theme today, isn't it? Eerily like the response of the promised land to the idolatrous Israelites who would defile it. It would vomit them out. Just as it had those who preceded them in abominable content. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this sounds like judgment. As Joshua put it, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served or the gods of those in whose land you dwell. Inasmuch as you're still here, I'll assume you decided that you do fear Yahweh, that you do, do believe him to be your God, and that what he has spoken is not his truth or your truth, but the truth. And thus, you hold his statutes and his commandments to be right and just, not just, not only for yourselves, but also for your sons and your grandsons. And as much as it depends on you, and it depends greatly on you, fathers, you will ensure that you and your, all your household will keep the statutes and commandments of God all the days of your life. You will not put your sons or your grandsons above them. You will not bequeath to lawless sons and grandsons the abundance Yahweh has given you. But you all will fall before him and submit to his laws. You will put them in your heart and teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them in every situation of life and bind them as a sign on your hand and make them as frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And you will do this not just on feast days or on those three days each year when there's a power outage and the entire family is just sitting around by candlelight looking at one another. But also daily around your tables, in your cars and backyards and gardens and favorite hiking and biking trails. 
In all these situations and every one that you can think of, you will bring God's word to bear on discussions of any and all topics, whether the human condition or relationships or economics or politics or history or dating ethics or your family dress code. You will hear God's word. You will read God's word. You will consume biblical instruction via the same technologies and platforms that you use for entertainment. So that even your iPhone and your social media presence are saturated with truth and the aroma of Jesus Christ. And you will evaluate all things that you allow into your consciousness through the filter of God's thoughts concerning it all. You will hearken to and call your sons and grandsons to hearken to the great truth, the central tenet and principal conviction of our belief that there is one God, Yahweh, and you all are to serve him only. And you will show them by your humility and daily habits of service and devotion, consciously and unconsciously, that you love him, the one true God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Which, when you think about it, doesn't leave much room for love of self, for pride and vainglory and self-centeredness. You will teach these words diligently, purposefully, intentionally, and consistently, not presuming on the gracious promises of God, but as if the eternal destiny of your family were at stake. As if your children were the objects of a celestial battle between forces of good and evil. As though you were protecting your children from spiritual darkness riding on fibers of light. As though licentious clickbait and catchy melodies with debauched lyrics were clawing from the inside of our smartphones and computers seeking to excite our lusts. As though perverse men were tearing at every door of our houses seeking to have their way with us and our children, desiring to violate their thoughts and take their innocence. None of this should require great imagination, for this is exactly what is at stake and exactly what is going on around us. This is exactly the war that you and your families are in. The spiritual carcasses of young people reared in Christian homes are lying all about us. We need to shake ourselves from slumber and recognize that our homes and families ought to be and are called to be boot camps for Christian warriors. If every household and father were as diligent as we, would the next generation of Christian warriors have a chance of overcoming the world? The weapons of our warfare, of course, are unconventional. And this is the way God works. But though they are simple and straightforward, they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. This strategy is quite simple, really, and hasn't changed at all since the invasion of Canaan that was anticipated in our text. No deception is called for and no military-industrial complex is needed. Just trust in God fully, completely, and obey his word fully, completely, doing what he instructed Abraham to do, to command our children and our households after us to keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, 
And God will deliver exactly, precisely what he has promised. Righteousness and justice are not empty words or concepts. They are the product of living as God commanded in Deuteronomy 5. The ten words that that build on the two great commandments, loving God above all else and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Faithful obedience is effective warfare. But going after the gods of the peoples who surround us is a suicide mission. For the Lord our God is a jealous God and his anger is aroused by idolatry. In verse 16 of our text, Moses warns the people to not tempt Yahweh, but to diligently, there's that word again, keep his commandments, his testimony, and his statutes which he commanded them. And if they should do what is right and good in God's sight, then all would go well. And they would go in and possess this land which Yahweh has, has sworn to their and our fathers to cast out all our enemies from before them just as he had spoken. Regardless of whether the object of our battle was Jericho, regardless of whether it was the Anakim, the giants in the land, we need to disabuse ourselves of the notion that we can rear our children as members in good standing of this present cultural order. We need to be concerned, frankly, if our interests and fashions and tastes in entertainment are basically aligned with the world. My truck radio system has been, for several weeks now, randomly switching between Sirius XM channels every few seconds, and supposed to get it fixed on Tuesday, but I've been exposed to quite a lot of channels that I had never been aware of, one of which is kids' bop radio, for example. And it's difficult to describe this kind of entertainment without employing scatological terms. There is no way that this kind of culture can be imbibed by a family that seeks to please God and fulfill Deuteronomy 6. I, and I'm sure you, hear and see on social media examples of Christian parents, though I don't know of any in this body, who accompany their young teens to various concerts by pop stars whose lifestyles and music are full of licentiousness. And I shake my head and wonder, what are we teaching our children? If we would rather copy the culture around us in our choices of fashion, entertainment, dances, and celebrations than honor and represent the God who sent his son to the cross to die for our sins and the sins of the world, then what we are actually binding as signs on our hands and writing on the doorposts of our house and our gates is the word hypocrite. And we will deserve the shame and humiliation that God will visit upon us as he fulfills his promise that the land will vomit us out. We should not be looking to Sodom with longing. The Sodom of this age is on the very brink of judgment. The world is not just mad, it is also drunk on its own wickedness and perversion. We had better understand the times and respond to these times with the principles of faithful and disciplined living and personal responsibility. It's quite likely that the head of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, was prescient in his reference just this past week to the threat of an impending financial hurricane in not just this country but the world. Whether his timing is accurate or not, we can expect 
that God's patience with the arrogance and perversion of this present order is wearing thin. The cracks in our civilization are growing steadily wider. The cover story of this weekend's issue of Barron's tells the sad tale of the declining birth rate in these United States, where a woman is now expected to have, I guess we can still define woman, to have 1.66 children over her lifetime, far short of the so-called replacement level fertility rate of 2.1 children per woman. Declining birth rates reflect a society in full-scale retreat, wherein government pension programs become utterly unaffordable, much earlier than anticipated, and a shrinking labor pool is insufficient to provide for a growing economy. It is the opposite of the biblical mandate to us as parents to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue the earth for the glory of God. No, we have believed the lie that children are a curse and too expensive and too impactful on the environment and our leisure time. Not necessarily in that order. Yesterday's Wall Street Journal contains a long article on Japan's difficulties with this same subject, noting that that country's birth rate over the typical woman's lifetime is 1.3. An economics professor who has studied the Japanese birth rate dearth, birth dearth was quoted as saying, the birth rate more likely would rise if Japan becomes, and I quote, a society where people have fun working and raising children. Ah, yes, if it became a Christian society, in other words, less focused on serving idols and pursuing happiness apart from God. Listen, the anicum of our day are exceedingly hateful, but also effete and bent on self-destruction. They're on hormone blockers and have signed up to be castrated, chemically or otherwise. They can't help it. For they have chosen the culture of death rather than a culture of life. You can rest assured they will not prosper, but will be cast out from before the true true church of Jesus Christ. But with whom will we be numbered? With whom will your children and your children's children be numbered? C.S. Lewis said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Indeed, much of it is just that, though it won't always be so. Nicole's family will later rest the remains of her father tomorrow afternoon. When that day comes for each of us, as it will very shortly, our children will know most assuredly exactly who it was we sought to please, exactly what it was that drove us and motivated us and made us happy. May they testify truly that it was the Lord who rescued us from slavery to sin and brought us out of bondage by his mighty hand, who brought us out of there that he might bring us in to give us the land and the fulfillment of his promises to us and to our children. May God convict us and send to us a spirit of repentance unto life. Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, you know how true it is that we often have failed to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We are grateful for your mercy and conviction and for the clear direction you have given us concerning how we are to think and act. 
Grant to us faith that we would embrace your way of life and living. Expose in us our own hypocrisy and double-mindedness. And help us to train up our children according to your nurture and admonition so that we and our families for generations would reflect the character and culture of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It takes a measure of faith, certainly, to look upon our present cultural morass and see even in its sordid details what God is working in the midst of it to bring to pass His eternal decree. But we sit around the table here of Yahweh on Pentecost Sunday, believing fully that His promises are certain and that though the nations rage and their people plot vain things like the Great Reset and social credit scores to rank your righteousness... Though kings set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, seeking to break their bonds and cast their cords away, they are utterly doomed to failure. Behold, as our benediction from Habakkuk, second read, Habakkuk 2 reads, it sounds like Donald Trump, uh, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain. Is it not? Of the Lord of hosts, that the peoples labor to feed the fire, and nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. We spoke earlier of the account in John's Gospel of Jesus feeding 5,000 hungry men from five barley, barley loaves and two fish. Not so that there was portion control, or anyone said, well, I didn't need seconds anyway. Of course not. Jesus did not merely supply the need. Rather, he provided such excess and abundance that there were 12 baskets of leftover barley bread when all had eaten their fill. As Pastor Doug Wilson writes concerning this miracle, and I quote, We are being invited to think and believe and pray expansively. The Lord is kinder than any of us imagine. The 5,000 are a type of all the nations under heaven gathered on the mountain of the Lord in order to fellowship with their Redeemer and Lord. Would God send down bread from heaven in order to feed only a tiny handful? Would God deliver the bread of life to a world full of death simply to rescue a remnant? No, but all men from every tribe and tongue and nation are invited to come and partake, and we have it on good authority that they will do exactly that. Jesus told us, to disciple the nations, to baptize them, and teach them all things whatsoever he has commanded. Jesus commissioned us to feed the world, and we do so principally at this table. As Pastor Wilson put it, this is the staple meal for the future of humanity. All those who belong to Jesus, who are baptized into him, and who are members in good standing of a Christian congregation, are welcome to join in today. And if there are those who are not yet joined to Jesus through baptism but would like to be, we certainly would assist you in being part of this church. We ask you not to partake of the bread and wine today, but we encourage you to see one of our church elders or Pastor Booth after service today. So with that, if those who are helping serve communion today would come forward, we will partake of his banquet. Please pray with me. Our Father, you have provided abundantly for us once again today. 
from your storehouse of riches and glory. You received our prayers and our confessions and heard our petitions and taught us your word. You have assured us of your pardon. You fed us not only by word, but also sacrifice, uh, sacrament. And now, as we prepare to feast, by the edification of the saints. Help us to be faithful in this week ahead to remember your word and to represent you as true ambassadors of King Jesus. Grant to us now your blessing on this feast and bring all nations to yourself, we pray. For you have claimed them for Jesus' sake, and it is in his great name that we have come. Amen. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and nations weary themselves in vain? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen.